Uh, all right, episode three of Flip the Record. What's going on, guys? Should be a good one. Uh, let me do the intro for the band, and then we'll get into any little preamble here. So today's band is one of the best-selling bands of all time, having sold more than 75 million records worldwide. Uh, they've achieved five number one hits in the Billboard Alternative Songs chart and four number one albums on the Billboard 200. In 2004, Rolling Stone named this band among the 100 greatest artists of all time. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in their first year of eligibility in 2014. They've got over 5 billion YouTube views, over 7 billion Spotify streams, five Grammy nominations, and one Grammy win for Best Alternative Music Performance. Uh, yeah, and that's it. So today's band is Nirvana. Nirvana. Classic. This is... It's not in the same category as like a Led Zeppelin or uh, you know a Rolling Stones, but they they kind of carved out their own niche in, in. This is maybe where classic rock ends and new age rock begins. Just all time great band. Yeah, I don't know if one rock band has ever sparked more like new bands trying to imitate their sound than Nirvana, or like really even pumped up other bands in their same category to such heights right like this is a band from seattle washington that at the time they you know when they put out their first record they're kind of nobodies right and by the time they're done they've they've pushed bands like pearl jam bands like soundgarden bands like the meat puppets the vaseline into levels of of stardom that they could have never maybe would have never realized without nirvana's insane popularity and they were an inspiration from everyone between Linkin Park and Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> like that was I swear to God, I was reading a list earlier and there's like all these like A tier artists and then <laughs> like they threw Weird Al in there. <laughs> Imagine Weird Al doing a cover of like uh He did a cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit. He <laughs> I mean I'm no big Al fan, but that's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. Um, yeah, you want to do one thing before we get started here today? All right. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about, um, new music coming up. Just wanted to throw something in the hopper that's kind of come out recently. Um, this is a pop punk legendary band, uh, which is hard to say because, again, they're still relatively new. Um, but Paramore has new music out. Um, Paramore put out an album called This Is Why about a month ago, I believe. Um, and they haven't put out new music in forever. I think the last time before this that they put out a new album was 2017. Um, and I don't think that got a whole lot of a whole lot of play. It was a real poppy album. Um, 2023, This Is Why, is a little bit closer to their roots. I wouldn't call it pop punk by any stretch. It's more of an alternative album. But it's, yeah, it, it's very different from their previous works i would say it's just a lot of different kinds of sounds you don't you can't really identify and that's why i'm putting it in this alternative category there's some songs that are super poppy other songs that are a little bit closer to the pop punk sound they once had but mixed in with like smooth kind of poppy sounds um it's not an album i'm in love with but for the paramore diehards out there it's kind of fucking cool that they're back and their concerts are going ballistic right now dude Tickets to go to the Paramore concert are like hundreds. It's like the Taylor Swift effect right now, dude. Oh, that that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I definitely got to check out the album. I'm not, I've 
I have very limited Paramore exposure, so I am looking forward to I know that we both put that band on the list yeah. of, of groups to do for this pod eventually. It's a quick listen. It's only 36 minutes long, 10 songs. Um, like I said, good, not great. Not not really my kind of thing, but uh, worth a listen for the pop punk fans out there. I like it. Cool. B- before we get into Nirvana, uh, you kind of just brushed on it, but you said the ticket price was going crazy. So I wanted to pose this question to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just like a general music, you know, question. All right. Uh, what is the most you would pay for a concert ticket? And it can be any, you know, musician, artist, whatever, alive or dead. So whoever you want to see the most, name the price, name who it is. It's funny you bring this up on a day we're talking about Nirvana, who's been, uh, this band hasn't been touring since 1994, so almost 20 or almost 30 years now. Uh, and I would imagine this is a band for a lot of people that would put them at the top of their category. Like, yeah, I'll pay so-and-so for this band. Um, gosh, man. Uh, I think there's a couple bands that are, well, I was going to say the Chili Peppers. They're still around. They're good, but I've seen them already. Um, I would probably say Led Zeppelin. And so they haven't toured in a long time. Uh, John Bonham died a long time ago, their drummer. Um, and ever since then, they really haven't toured, even though Robert Plant and uh, a couple of the other guys are still alive. Um, I would venture to say I'd spend somewhere in the $300 range to go see Led Zeppelin. And le- what if, uh, for the sake of the argument, what if you could see them back in their heyday? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're right. So so right now, I'd, I'd maybe pay 250 to see Led Zeppelin, even without John Bonham. In their heyday, like no more than three fifty. That's still a taunt oh, for bro. a concert. Uh, yeah, I, this one should definitely get posted on TikTok or oh, YouTube, yeah. whatever. All the socials comment comment your group and then the price. So for me, we did Lincoln Park on the pod as our first episode. Okay, I never got to see them in concert. Oh. My favorite group of all time. Obviously, Chester's not around. If I could pay to go see them like in concert back in their heyday. I'd easily pay a grand. You know what I'd go to see? They uh, This is another one I've talked about with some other friends before. They did a tour with Jay-Z one year. Yeah, they because I know they released uh, Numb Encore with him was live on one, like on one of their live albums. Yeah, I think I was I, it was either late elementary school or early middle school, so this must have been around like 2006, 2007. <laughs> uh, Talk about an all-time hype concert. Oh, my God, dude. Jay-Z, Linkin Park in concert. I think they played at Little Caesar. Or not Little Caesar. Shit uh joe lewis oh my god that's another concert i pay 350 to see absolutely bro 350 people are gonna roast you uh people yeah. are paying 400 i our friend that we were with this weekend paid 400 dollars for beyonce <laughs> and my wife paid uh close to 300 for taylor swift so i think people are paying three four five hundred for those you know top name artists ed sheeran beyonce uh damn i'd love to be rich <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not arguing that it's a lot of money, but I think I I think people are crazy about concerts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why you see these Taylor Swift concerts tickets going for tens of thousands of dollars down near the pit and whatnot. You know, it's like, but uh, I I still I don't know, man. Because like, if you pay, say you pay three fifty for the ticket, and then add in the cost of everything around that, it ends up being a five hundred dollar night plus. Right, but if it's a once in a life lifetime experience like in this scenario it's totally worth paying more maybe man i just i i guess like my my frame of reference is like i don't think i've ever paid more than 150 dollars for a ticket oh so i'm in the same boat as you where i i I mean i paid for music festival tickets which oh yeah okay that doesn't count right for a single artist i don't think i paid more than probably same as you 100 150 
Yeah, and I, I kind of mentioned it last week when I was talking about the popularity of Foo Fighters, where like rock bands just aren't as big names as they used to be. Um, so you know, even when I go see like a, you know, my dad paid for the Lincoln Park tickets or Shine Down or uh, Stone Temple Pilots, like those tickets couldn't have cost more than a buck fifty any of them. Um, and and like Lincoln Park played with Thirty Seconds to Mars, uh, and that was a big band back at the time. Um, so yeah, it's just I don't know. It's tough to see myself spending more than that on one act. Uh, that's fair. Well, we'll see. Uh, if you're listening to this, comment the artists that you would go and see that are alive in the amount that you'd pay to go see them. Hell yeah. Yeah, I like it. All right, cool. We'll get into Nirvana now? Let's do it. All righty. Let's see what we got here. So so you watched the, the documentary that was kind of the bio on them, yeah? Uh, this was the one on Kurt Cobain. Okay. Was, uh, Kurt Cobain montage of heck yeah and so they got into like a little bit of his childhood and his upbringing and stuff there yeah they they briefly they had both of his parents in the interview but like very brief yeah it's like oh yeah like you know kurt was a good kid and then until he started rebelling and then they like kind of like it, they his mom gave more but his dad literally said like two sentences and uh, that was it. okay okay i gotcha but they started with going over you know they talked about his hometown of aberdeen a little bit and then you know his early childhood and uh, teenage years and yeah gotcha gotcha yeah so they uh so kirk cobain born in aberdeen washington it's a little city just outside of portland oregon actually uh i believe i could be wrong about that but i believe it's pretty close to portland oregon um he grew up in aberdeen uh not a super wealthy area in fact it's a pretty impoverished city in washington um not a great upbringing kind of like joey said already uh parents were kind of whack didn't really have a great home life. Spent a lot of time living with, with his grandparents early in his life. Um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's it's worth noting too. They his mom made a point in the doc of saying like his dad used to like he was like a free spirit in the sense that he liked to express himself and you know sing, paint, um, make loud noises like normal kid stuff or whatever. But right. that his dad was like his dad thought you should just you know sit down and shut up or whatever. Straight so his dad down. like ridiculed him all the time or whatever. And that's where gotcha. gotcha. I think a lot of his uh you kind know of angst comes out angst or in yeah for sure gotcha gotcha yeah they uh so kind of around the same time maybe 15 16 um he ends up or i think his mom kicked him out of the house because they were just kind of tired of the shit um which sounds bad saying it like that but whatever just take it as it is um so he moves out and he ends up living with like on his principal's couch for like a year and then kind of just like crowd surfing or like couch surfing for the next little bit um until 1989 or i guess 1988 um he forms a band uh that would eventually become nirvana goes through a different few different name changes um this band is made up by chris no- or so it's it's kurt chris novoselic and then jason everman um is that right yeah it looks yeah right. so uh i've got a, a fun fact about that guy real quick I can get to my right notes here. Yeah, so <laughs> so their first album, Bleach, cost six hundred and six dollars and seventeen cents to make. The <laughs> money, the money was borrowed by Jason Everman, who briefly joined the band as a second guitarist and appeared on the album cover, but did not play any of the songs. <laughs> that, that that feels very typical for a band like this, <laughs> just so out of sorts, trying to get their shit together. But, uh, yeah, so Chris Novoselic, Jason Everman, Kurt Cobain, three-man band here. Uh, Kurt on vocals, obviously, uh, and then the other two. 
So with that, 1989 comes around. They settle on their name Nirvana, and they produce their first record, Bleach. Yeah, so on the name, before settling on the name Nirvana, the band tried many different stage, like on-stage names, some of which were kind of wonky. Horrible. So they had some of their names were Fecal Matter. Horrible. Ted Ed Fred. Horrible. Skid Row. Not so horrible. And Pen Chap Chew One. Or, or sorry, Pen, pen, cap, yeah. pen cap Chew. My freaking yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit better than the others, but slightly. <laughs> Nirvana's kind of a sick fucking name for a band, though. Absolutely. Like, it's just a little three-syllable, one-word hits. Love it. Um, so, yeah, with that, we'll get into Bleach. Um, oh, one more uh, fun fact here. For the logo, the iconic smiley face with the, oh, the yeah, axis yeah. for the eyes and then Nirvana above it, uh, Kurt Cobain actually drew that. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So he did it for, like, a, a flyer or whatever, and then it ended up sticking, and that's, I mean, that's the iconic. You see people wearing a T-shirt oh, with, yeah. with that all the time. Yeah, when you go to, the, like, the, the record, I guess not the record shop. Who the hell goes to a record shop? But, like, if you walk in, say you walk into Hot Topic, right? Like, that's the picture of the Nirvana shirt. That's the, like, it'll just be that Nirvana shirt in, like, 50 different shades. Yeah, it most commonly uh, black shirt, yellow font, yep, or yep. blue, too. But I swear to God, I've seen it in every color under the sun, dude. People, like, especially, I feel like that T-shirt has become, like, a cult classic for girls who don't, like, don't want to seem like they're so popular. <laughs> Guys, too, man. Yeah, like, I definitely had that shirt at one point. But I'm just saying that's like that's a classic like, oh, my God, I'm like trendy. I don't like I don't listen to Nirvana, but I know a couple songs and I wore this to the party. Well, you know what it is? Above all else, it's a sign of teen angst and rebellion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's Nirvana's whole bit. Um, And when you see that, you immediately associate that person with that T-shirt. So I guess I get it. But (laughs) I just I hate these girls. Oh, it's like the name three songs girls. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, yeah. Fuck. So with that, you want to get into the into Bleach? Yeah, let's talk about Bleach here. Um, so Bleach kicks off with a couple kind of um, deep, deep cuts here. Starts off with Blue and then Flo- Floyd the Barber. Um, I guess maybe let me talk a little bit on the kind of the tone of this album or the sound of this album. This is we talked a little bit about it with. Uh, Blink-182, which we did on Premature Bingo. Listen to Premature Bingo. Um, It's raw. It's not their best work yet. A lot of these songs, I I would compare this to like a garage rock band where it's just a few few young guys that got into a garage and started like mashing away. So one, which backs that up, they recorded this album in 30 hours. (laughs) Yeah, it, it sounds like they recorded it in two days. Yeah, and uh, to your point, I think the album as a whole, it's very unorganized. It's it's like, in just terms of, like, just raw sound kind of all over the place. Like, you don't know what you're going to get, like, track to track. Yeah, 100%. But, uh, I mean, you can – there are songs in this album where you see, you see the peaks of what's going to make them so brilliant. I just – I it, – it's hard for me to – criticize Cobain he's, he's such a gifted artist and, and writer um, but I think he sometimes on this album just kind of like is, is like screeching into the mic or like loudly just like screaming into the mic and it it adds it takes a toll on the, the music as a whole I agree and I, I so I think with this album 
there's that aspect of it. Uh, for the time, like it, you know, grunge was more popular. Yeah, this is raw like, grunge at its raw, at its, at its raw, at its grungiest. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> so with that in mind, I guess listening to it now, like I hadn't listened to this album ever, ever. Yeah. Listening to it, I was like, okay, it's not for me. I. It's just maybe back in the time, if I was a teenager, it would have been for me. But listening to it now, there's a couple songs I'll save, but I'm not going to revisit it. It definitely finds itself in, like, this alternative niche, which is, like, pure grunge. Uh, kind of similar to, like, pure punk or... <sighs> I don't want to compare it to Screamo, but you could kind of say it has similar qualities to that, where it's just guys wailing away. Um, yeah, it's it's not for everybody, but there you could see the light this album right to your point some of the riffs like some of the guitar riffs and just like you can see you're like oh shit like that that was really good like yeah i think honestly i think the the instrument playing on this album is way more way better than the 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 vocals here oh for sure for sure that's that's where i see the peaks except for it's really just about a girl and maybe floyd the barber and uh, i would argue love buzzes yeah yeah i would say it would be funny to know, like, what, uh, like, if they recorded the album in the order that the songs are played, because as the album goes on, the songs get like stranger and stranger. I, I think. Yeah. So I I like the music, like the the guitar in blue a lot, as the as the opener. Yeah. The, again, it's just like the 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 vocals and the lyrics. I'm just like, ah. Uh. Yeah, it's tough, and it, it, frankly, like you sometimes you can't even discern what they're saying. It, it's just kind of like screaming aimlessly and the guitar is so fucking loud that you just can't hear over it even in even in their other albums they're like when i was going back for this podcast i had to pull up the lyrics because i was like oh wait what is he saying yeah yeah there's a bunch of songs like that as we go through the next couple records um and i i I really think their best work is when he tunes it down just a notch um between between like like softly acoustic or acoustic and like smells like teen spirit (laughs) <laughs> that's about the edge of where I want Nirvana to be. Yeah, it's funny when they do the, and we'll get into it with the like some of the acoustic covers. They're actually some like Fire. It, they're really good. Like if they Fire. if if you know Kurt Cobain was still around, they at some point in their career, I'm sure they would have done an acoustic like covers album or yeah. Like, it might not have been in the '90s. It might have taken until the 2000s or whatever. But at Something. some point, they probably would have done that, and it would have been fire. I probably would have also ended up motherfucking these guys for making some bullshit album that you never like, like folky pop or some so, weird shit. Yeah. So part, it's so like when someone dies at such a young age like that, and they put out three albums. You know, discount the first album because it's they recorded in 30 hours on a super small budget or whatever. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, with the last two albums, they're both really fucking good. And you're like, man, if these guys had 10 more years, what else could they put out? 100%. But with the double-edged sword of, like, in, like, if they were making music in, like, 2005, oh 2010. Imagine at them doing new metal. At some point, they would have tried to, m- you know, mix up the sound. And it may or, or may not have worked. Who fucking knows? Yeah. Right. They could have been Nine Inch Nails. They could have been <laughs> fucking... I don't even know, man, like three doors down, like, you know, who the fuck knows? Uh, and that's why it's, it's like they're iconic. They get locked into the greatness that they, that they, you know, that Kurt Cobain died in. And, right, right. And uh, that the band ended in. And yeah, so it's just, it's always crazy when, when you have that happen. Right. And so I, I, I think it's important, like I said, just to note that this album 
uh, instrumentally, I I think it's actually pretty good instrumentally. Um, but with Kurt just screaming into the mic for most of it, it's it's a tough listen at parts. Um, and again, it's it's organized poorly. Um, it's it's mastered poorly. Yeah, my advice would be, don't listen to this album. Just live, listen to Nevermind twice. Yeah, I mean, again, there's a couple songs about a girl gets it. It garners a lot of popularity, especially later on, uh, because it's part of the the un, uh, MTV Unplugged. Um, obviously, I think I don't I don't think it's a hot take to say that's probably the best song in this album. No, I I actually that's one of my all, all time it, favorites. Yeah, what's in my uh, I think it's number ten in my top ten. But we'll yeah yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, so like I said, Blue, Foy the Barber, Decent, uh, Love Buzz we liked. After that, I just, there's just really nothing after that. Um, Negative Creep didn't suck, but it's a, it's a really, like, fucked up song. Like, if you listen to the lyrics, it's, it's just, it's about a negative creep. Like, yeah. Hit, like, picking up on chicks and, ugh, it's really fucking weird. But sonically, like, musically, meh. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Have, I don't think I have anything else for this album. Let's... <laughs> Let's get into Nevermind, 1991, arguably one of the best albums of all time. Yeah, I was thinking about that on the way here. Um, Certainly in that genre. Yeah, this is... Well, and let's talk about this, too, before we get into the music a little bit. This album cover is also one of the most iconic album covers of all time. Facts. Um, For those of you who haven't seen this, you probably have, but... um, it's a picture of a of a baby, like maybe a one year old, floating face down in a pool, naked. And uh, interestingly enough, you can see this little kid's dick in the album. Um, I don't, I, I have no like, I, I can't sympathize and like figure out why they would choose this for an album cover, except that it's like wildly like what the fuck, <laughs> uh, which kind of fits their like theme. But um, fun fact too, that kid. He ended up suing them. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. So last year, he sued the estate of Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, uh, Dave Grohl, and Courtney Love for like $8 million or something. Are you kidding me? Hold on a second here. Um, that makes me so mad. Oh, I saw it earlier. I thought it was like $8 million. Oh, no. Eh. It says here he was seeking $150,000 each from... Uh, I guess there were more people involved in this lawsuit. $150,000 each from 15 people and companies named in the complaint. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, so they went they went looking. They, I mean, they auditioned babies for this album cover, <laughs> which is a crazy fucking move. But yeah, some this kid's parents were, were cool with it. They, they paid the kid's parents to, to have him on the album cover. See, hey, if, if they paid your parents or whatever, I'm sorry, you can't sue. Like, it's just one of those things where... Oh, well, they they paid the parents $200 for the picture. Yeah, $200 back in the day is a lot of money. <laughs> oh, old man takes coming out early. No, dude, I'm sorry, but I there's so many instances of people suing people for, like, dumb sh- Like, okay, I get it, you're a baby, you didn't have a say in it, but your parents did. Tough, tough luck. Yeah, that's real tough luck. I feel like that's, like... Do you think that's a cool thing when you get to high school? Like, hey, I was that little fucker on the album cover. It would be if you were a cool person. Yeah. But it sounds like this guy's a dweeb. Yeah, this guy's a douche for sure. Oh my god, that's. <laughs> Let me put it this way: if this guy was cool and he liked Nirvana, he would never sue. He'd be honored. Well, I, I think as a as a younger person, he was like pretty okay with it. And then, I don't know. It, it feels like this kind of came out of nowhere, where he was just like, you know what? Fuck these guys. 
Yeah. But Money Grab. Yeah, Money Grab. But also before we get into this album, uh, do you want to mention Dave Grohl? Uh yeah, yeah. So after Bleach, um, they made a band change. They went from that um I'm forgetting his name now already, but they switched the drummer over to Dave Grohl. Uh, notable lead singer of Foo Fighters, um, which I'll probably get into this probably during the Foo Fighters episode. But what a what a tragic life story of of not only Kurt but Dave Grohl, man. He he goes through this whole thing with Nirvana and, and Kurt, maybe maybe not killing himself, and then a few months ago or maybe last summer, his drummer killed himself. Um, yeah, really really sad, uh, and. In both instances, obviously, the guy's, you know, addicted to drugs. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just, it, we talked about it a little bit with, um, who the hell was it? Um, anyways, it's it's just another another rock band brought, brought down by, by drugs and alcohol, man. It's really fucking sad. But anyways, uh, what's his nuts? Uh, Dave Grohl is really, really fucking good on drums, too. Um, and it comes out through this whole album and the next one in utero. Yeah, so this album we need we have to do this album justice and go track one by, by one. track. One yes. By one. Okay. Kicks off with Smells Like Teen Spirit, the the hit off this record. So, fun fact. Uh well actually two fun facts. One, this song was almost left off the album. Jesus Christ. Because the band thought it sounded too similar to Pixies, which was one of their influences. The producer, uh, Butch Vig, convinced him to keep it and then added some more overdubs and effects to make it sound more polished. Obviously, the song goes on to be one of the biggest hits. Polished is a funny way of putting this song because it is so like hard and thrashing throughout. But God damn, this is, this is a classic. This is maybe top 10 most classic rock songs of all time. Arguably one of the best guitar riffs of all time. Just the... Yeah. Everybody knows this fucking song. And if you don't know this song, I don't want to talk to you. And I just wow. So one more fun fact. Uh the name the name for the song was inspired by one of Kurt's ex girlfriends who wrote on his wall in graffiti, Kurt smells like teen spirit. And teen spirit was a brand of deodorant that he <laughs> sees. I think I'd heard that before. That's pretty cool though. I feel like a lot of their songs get titles from these like odd innocuous places, like especially on the next record. I didn't do I didn't do so much digging into Bleach, but In Utero has a few songs like that too. Um, there's especially one song called uh, Francis Farmer will have her, her will have her revenge on Seattle, which is just like a random deep cut of an old actress. Yeah. Well, also, is it Francis was the name of his daughter? Yeah, Francis Bean Cobain is his daughter's name, which right, I would right, imagine right. is where he got the in, uh, the inspiration from Francis Farmer. Um, but yeah, anyways, Smells Like Teen Spirit is an absolute classic and it, an incredible, like maybe the best first song on any album of all time. Yes. An absolute amazing way to open the album. Yeah, this and is nuts. This this music video went fucking ballistic on MTV. Yeah, so the music, do you want to describe it a little bit? And then I've got a, a, uh, a fun fact I'll on be it. honest, man. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I do remember just like when I was younger watching it a few times and be like, holy shit, that's cool. Yeah, so it's them... And I, I, I didn't watch it in preparation for this pod, but I think I remember it. It's them like at like a, a pep rally or like a school or whatever. And then like it ends up being like a, you know, like a just chaos. At the yeah, end yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that sounds about right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Really so cool. Cool music video. And two, just from the transition from Bleach to Nevermind has to be the greatest like one up from like album to album. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, 
we could do that. We could do a hundred episodes. Where are you going to find a transition from from bleach to nevermind? I mean, it's just unreal. Going from that innocuous to that good in in basically a year and a half, two years is fucking nuts, dude. But like I said, you could kind of you could see the you could see the hints of it in bleach. And I think what I think really happened is they got a little money after they did bleach. They toured and then they were able to like hire real fucking people to help them. And they got a hell of a lot better in a hurry because because the people around them were that much better. Yeah. So uh, obviously this song is often interpreted as like a teen revolution anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about this song and, and a lot of the Nirvana songs in general, like some of the lyrics on here are just so random. Like in the chorus for Smells Like Teen Spirit, it's a mulatto, an albino, a mosquito, my libido. Yeah, I uh, I said this to our other buddy uh, we were just talking about earlier um, before, where bands like this, uh, and I think a lot of this comes is drawn from inspiration from the Beatles, where the Beatles have a lot of songs that I'll call word salad because they're kind of just like fun, catchy words that don't really mean anything. Um, and Nirvana has a lot of songs like that too. But I, I, I'm pretty sure Cobain drew pretty good inspiration from the Beatles as well, which is not wholly uncommon. Yeah, so he also said in a, one of the interviews I was watching, he's like, yeah, like, people always try and interpret my lyrics. And he's like, a lot of times I'm just writing down, like, just lazy. random stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, he's like, I'll just pull from, like, my, you know, my, my book of notes and just throw random things in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for, like, in preparation for this, I did find for a couple songs where he was, like, given an interview and he, like, talked about why he wrote, like, that song. There are absolutely some songs like that uh, where it's just word salads and other ones where he gets into, like, he, he has a message. Um, yeah but that's like we talked a lot last week about shinedown where their albums have kind of like a theme or a story to tell that is not at all the case here um (laughs) it's just kind of an assortment of random thoughts um mostly centered around like angst and and rebellion i guess each each song is sort of independent of yeah of the album yeah that's all i got yeah yeah all right um so then next is in bloom another classic um it's not listed as one of the most popular songs on Apple, but it damn near. I mean, dude, every song on this album. But yeah, in Bloom, sick. It's um, got over a hundred million streams. It's it's popular for sure. Yeah, it's got another classic riff in the beginning. Um, as soon as you turn it on, you know what it is. This one does have a cool music video, and uh, it's all it's the three guys like dressed up in suits, and they're like playing. It's almost like a prom or something. Uh, and then just like chaos ensues around them. It's kind of a fucking cool, fun video to watch um yeah and this this song uh was actually written as like a sarcastic jab at mainstream fans who like nirvana's music but didn't understand their message oh okay okay that's cool yeah so he's like cobain said he wrote the song for the many like gen xers who bought into the grunge scene after nirvana became popular and mocked them for singing along to the lyrics Uh, okay so that's like he's the one who likes all our pretty songs and he likes to sing along and he likes to shoot his gun, but he don't know what it means. Ah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And they would have never got that either. <laughs> like that, that's kind of his whole point is like, they'll like this song too and they'll never fucking get it. <laughs> yeah. This is, I mean, yeah, it wasn't like uh top five most popular, but it's certainly top 10. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorites. Absolutely. Yeah. Mine too. Um, all right. It moves from there into come as you are slows it down a little bit. Um, but they're still batting a thousand still batting a thousand this is an awesome song and i <laughs> oh man um are you familiar with the the blink 182 tie-in here no okay so um 
Here, let me pull up the lyrics real quick. Um, oh, at one point, Kurt sings, take your time, hurry up. The choice is yours. Don't be late. Right. A few years later, uh, Blink-182 puts out, what was that? Um, Adam's Song? Adam's Song, Or yeah. Stay Together for the Kids. No, Adam's Song. In Adam's Song, uh, they sing, I took my time, I hurried up, the choice was mine, I didn't think enough. Oh, that's awesome. A I didn't realize back that. A little callback to this song. Um, I don't know what the hell any of that means anyways, but <laughs> it's pretty fucking cool. Somebody just told me, but that was probably something I learned just like working with random people. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. check this out. Pretty fucking cool. That's uh, so cool. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the the riff to open this song and like the melody are so catchy. And then Cobain's voice just comes in and just pierces the track. He sounds, yeah, he, he really leans into that deep voice he's got on this track. Um, and yeah, he's really, really fucking good here. Yeah. So when I was trying to look into like the meaning for this one, uh, they were saying, you know, they encourage folks to be themselves, but comment on society's expectations that impact the way that people can actually act and present themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, and then one more fun fact. So Nirvana got sued a a billion times, but, yeah, (laughs) uh, they actually got sued for this song. What? so the riff sounds really similar to a Killing Jake song called 80s. And Cobain actually <laughs> admitted he was aware of the similarity, but hoped that Killing Joke wouldn't sue him. <laughs> so the Killing Joke ended up filing a lawsuit, but then after uh, Cobain died, they... Rem- yeah. They, yeah. Well, at least they had it. the dignity and not the little shithead on the cover. For real, dude. Oh, man. Although, I guess... Like, who are you really stealing money from? Courtney Love at this point? Like... Eh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Grohl's got enough money too. So yeah. yeah. What's $150,000 to them? Um, that's all I got on Come As You Are. Coming up next, Breed, still a thousand. Um, yep. This is kind of like a satirical song about like dumb people that just need to stop having kids. <laughs> um, but it's hard and heavy the whole way through, and it's really fucking cool. Uh, again, another song that I just love off this album. Um, same that's all i got there same so then it gets into lithium so this song is actually named after the mood stabilizing drug uh cobain never took it but he was fascinated by it gotcha and he said he got the idea for this song from a friend who had joined a christian cult and used religion as a substitute for drugs so it's like about a man who like turns to god after his girl his girlfriend dies you can kind of hear it huh if you look at the lyrics of this yeah uh I'll, i'll pull it up real quick that's interesting too, because Kurt had a had a somewhat fascination with religions. Uh, through his life, he kind of explored. He grew up Christian, but explored Jainism, explored Buddhism, um, and was interested in just learning more and more about different religions around the world. Yeah. So the lyrics for Lithium: Sunday morning is every day for all I care, and I'm not scared. Light my candles in a daze, because I found God. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, it gets yeah, into yeah, yeah. The, yeah. arguably the best one word chorus. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but yeah, it really doesn't have a chorus. He's just kind of yeah, 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 for the whole way through. It. The whole chorus, chorus is just him going yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Yeah, this song's fucking badass too, man. No doubter. One of my favorites. The next song's pretty weird. Uh, I like it. It's just weird. You looked in the meaning? Not a ton, but I know just what I've heard. Okay, yeah. So maybe so, I'll let you take this one. So the next song on this album is Polly. Uh, so this song Cobain wrote, it's about a kidnapping of a 14-year-old girl. Uh, so she was kidnapped in 1987, returning from a concert in Tacoma, 
Washington, which obviously right, Cobain's right. from Washington. And she was abducted by this guy. He took her back to his uh, mobile home and raped her. The girl's whose name was not released was tortured with a ri- a whip, a razor, and a blowtorch. And Christ. all three of those items are in in the song. Like, oh, lyrically. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So she managed to escape uh, when this guy took her for a ride and stopped for gas, and then okay. he was sent to jail. Right. And that is part of the song too. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, shit, I don't have it up. Hold but. on a sec. I'll pull it up here. Towards Let me end. take a ride. Cut yourself. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she caught me off guard. Will of instinct. Um, yeah, I did. I never knew what the story was behind this song. I had I've listened to this song a million times, and I always thought it was interesting. Like the the conjunction between like the the whole song is kind of a a play on like owning a bird. Uh, Polly is like a, a stereotypical name for a parrot, um, and he talks about like clipping broke or dirty wings and so there's kind of this like insinuation that's um it's about like uh, a caged bird uh but then spliced it with really like fucked up lyrics about like tying people up and doing horrible things um and it's simple musically like it's just kind of kurt plucking away and uh he doesn't even really like raise his voice a whole lot in this song he just tells the story and uh it's pretty fucking cool yeah definitely uh very unique yeah, not for the faint-hearted. Um, yeah, but that—that's a lot of Nirvana songs, um, and I think the next song is is pretty similar in that sense that it's not for the faint-hearted. Territorial Pissings is heavy as fuck. <laughs> um, this is a little bit more like their old uh, the the Bleach stuff. Um, this is, I, I guess, I would say maybe one of my le- less favorite songs on this album, um, but still pretty good. Yeah, obviously. Native Americans, sexism. Yeah. Those are the themes of the song. But yeah, yeah, this is definitely one of the heavier ones on the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Then it goes to Drain You. Uh, I've heard this song a million times, too. Uh, Classic. This is right in the... It's in the the top... Probably top ten. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a good one. I don't... I don't. This might have been one of the ones where he's like, people try and read into this, and it's it's just yeah, jumbled. it's a little bit jumbled. But from uh, trying to read into it, people were saying it could be about heroin or about a girl. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that is I feel like he really doesn't write a lot about his drug use. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but no, I mean I think he like there's a couple songs where he like um, mentions uh, what it, is it? all apologies where he's like he's he's talking about wanting to be like a better father and, right. and husband, but. He never really specifically talks about his own drug use, right? Which is interesting, especially when you like put that in conjunction with Shine Down, we just talked about last week, where Brent Smith is constantly talking about his drug, almost constantly talking about his drug use. Yeah, and going back, uh, this is actually third week in a row because Chester Bennington. Yeah, same I mean, thing. He talks about his demons, but he almost never specifically references. Right, right. He more just know. kind of. Uh, yeah, that's good. Like, he talks about the effects of it rather than like the. The, the bit itself you know right but yeah you don't really see him even you don't even really see him talk much about it like even the the effects of it there's not a whole lot of songs about it no and uh so kurt cobain had chronic like s- stomach pain yeah he did a song on the next album kind of about that yeah and uh like he he went to the doctors for i think he was saying like in an interview like six years and he was just drug after drug nothing helped and he was saying like Every meal he would eat, like he would either like throw it up or just like be in pain or whatever, and that yeah. is 
he literally said he's like i want to kill myself because of how much pain i'm in with the stomach issue right and then but the interesting about that too is like they did a they talked about it a little a little bit in the documentary i watched uh soaked in bleach where a lot of the people that he was around even while he was dealing with these stomach pains when he was around the people like he spent time with for the most part he was a kind of a i wouldn't jovial might be an extreme word but uh happy enough guy yeah and um yeah, so with the uh, heroin, that's kind of why I brought it up. He said that when he did heroin, it helped with his stomach pains. Yeah, yeah. Although I know heroin can also cause you to vomit, but... Yeah, but also, like, think about it this way, right? Like, heroin is basically the same thing as morphine. And yeah. morphine is used to treat pain, so... True. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that's pretty much all I got on Drain You. Good song, though. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lounge Act is another... I, If any, there are... I would say this is one of the other deep cuts off this song or off this album. I like this song. I don't love this song. I like this song. I don't know. You probably got some notes about it. Yeah. So this was uh there's a couple songs where people speculate it's about one of his ex-girlfriends in uh, specific uh, Toby. Okay. This is the only song Cobain admitted was about her. Uh, um, okay. Okay. The line, I'll arrest myself, I'll wear a shield, refers to a tattoo Cobain had on his shoulder, which was a shield with the letter K on it. Oh, shit. Uh, the title of this song, so Lounge Act, comes from the fact that Nirvana thought that the bass intro sounded like something a cheesy lounge band would use. <laughs> like in the back of the movie theater, or not the movie theater, like a like a bowling alley band or something. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, this one, I mean, is, is pretty evident. It's about a relationship. Yeah, yeah. One of the lines is, you know, I still smell her on you. Right, so. right. I always kind of I again I haven't listened to this a few too many times but uh, I always thought maybe that was like a dig that she was maybe like a stripper or something. But oh yeah, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> but again, I'm not super familiar with this song. Um, anyways, that's all I got there. Yeah. So next song, "Stay Away." Stay away. Good one here. Another deepish cut off this album. Uh, monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> a good song. I like it. Uh, not too heavy, but. That's again the nice thing about this album is that they didn't they didn't do a whole lot of the the shit they did on Bleach they tuned it into that like middle range and that's part of what I love about this album where even the deep cuts that like you might not listen to all the time are still good songs and that's evident here yeah that's a good way of putting it so next song is on a plane on a plane I sneaky I really like this song sneaky really good um I. They did. They do this on the MTV Unplugged too, and I love the Unplugged version of this song. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know how much to say about this that I haven't already said about every other song, but yeah, it's just a good song. Yeah, absolutely. So next one, something in the way. Oh, this is the last song on this album, by the way. So no, oh, well, let's just talk about it. And I'll get to it. The <laughs> last, right. the last song on this twelve, this twelve set album. On so on the vinyl, this album is twelve songs long. Something in the way is like this slower, low-sounding, haunting music. Um, again, I I'm starting to like really think about bands that are doing this, where their last song is like a little bit slower and more emotional. And this is absolutely one of those songs. They get strings involved, like it sounds like they got like violin or something in the background. Um, it's really fucking cool and like kind of haunting almost. Yeah, so a couple things on this song. One, I hadn't heard this song until the new Batman with Robert Pattinson came out. Oh yeah, that was like the that was the, the again that was the commercial song. 
Yeah, and the song ended up like getting back on like the Billboard charts after yeah, that. Yeah, I saw that. Funny, it's fucking crazy. Um, the second thing, vocally, Cobain is like whispering into the mic. Yeah, he just kind of sounds like this the whole time, just not like, really raising his voice a whole lot. Like we listened to it on the car ride. Oh, we were on a, a longer car ride over the weekend or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The song came on, and my wife looked at me. She's like. Like, can you turn it off? I can't hear what he's saying. He's also like, yeah, just, like, either. moaning into it half the time. Just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this is different than every other song on the record. F- frankly, different than every other song they've made to this point. Yeah, so speculation on, on this one into what the lyrics are actually about is um, Cobain's life. of At one point, he was living under a bridge. Oh, shit. Yeah, which makes under, sense. underneath the bridge is, yeah. you know, the lyric from the song. Yeah. Um. And yeah, just expressing some, you know, more feelings and emotions, something in the way. There's always something in the way every time uh-huh. he tried to do better for himself or get better. Yeah, so. somebody struck or who dealt with trouble all through his life just trying to like fucking survive basically. And yeah, to your point, this this is like a, an anomaly in terms of Nirvana sound. Yeah, even on the next record, they don't have anything like this uh, that I can think of, but maybe we'll get to it when we get there, but yeah, just a really different song, and I love it, and I love it on the Unplugged, too. Um, yeah, so you said that was the last song on the album. Yes, yes. So, Nirvana, the 12-song the set list on the, the record, the, the vinyl record, ends with something in the way. If you left the, the side of the album that finished with something in the way on the record, after 10 minutes of just hearing static, then you would hear the 13th song on the track, Endless Nameless. Which is fucking crazy. I think this is something bands did sometimes, but they call it like a ghost track. Um, and not everybody like even listened to it because when you hear the static come, you just flip the record, you know? Um, and I'm not sure it was printed on the CDs either, if CDs were even a thing at this time, 1991. But uh, yeah, if you just left the record on for 10 minutes, then it got an endless nameless. That's crazy. I didn't know that was a thing. That's so fucking cool, dude. It's a six-minute song too, and they- it- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, I imagine, I'm imagining this has got to be like a a two-disc set because just having something in the way and this song with a ten-minute gap in between on one side of the vinyl has to take up the whole fucking disc. I mean, that's like twenty minutes of music for two songs and and ten minutes of static. <laughs> what the fuck? Wow, that's that's really cool about like the ghost tracks. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know of any other bands that have done this, but I, I did a little bit of reading on this song, and it sounds like this might have been something other bands did too. Um, but it's pretty fucking cool. Not everybody found it, but the people that did got a little bonus. Now that being said, you were you were heavily rewarded with with not only word salad but music salad. <laughs> um, Endless Nameless is right back to their bleach roots. It's almost like a jam band song, but like if the jam bands were like high as fuck and just like doing a little bit of music on their own, like everybody was doing their own little bit and none of it matched up together. Uh, that's endless nameless. Yeah, it's almost like if uh, if they had just recorded like them recording bleach, they were just recording like them jamming like randomly trying to come up with stuff. That's honestly what this sounds like. It sounds like they were just like like fucking around and like doing different stuff. And then Kurt was like, wait, I think I can put a track to this. Hang on. And he, he like, like grunt, moans, like, sings into the mic for, like, half of the song. And then the last three minutes of the song or so are just aimless, like, guitar riffs. 
it's really fucking weird, but a little treat for those who stayed. Yeah, it, it's it's cool that they did it as a ghost track. Yeah, not, absolutely, absolutely. And not a way to close out the album. Yeah, something in the way is a much better close to this album. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Endless Nameless does get a little bit of recognition for being that like like little Easter egg at the end, which is kind of fucking cool. That's awesome. Um, all right. I don't think I have anything else on this album. Except oh, I- I've got one other fun fact oh, for this for album. It. So during the release party for this album, Cobain and the uh, band members showed up drunk. <laughs> Soon they started throwing watermelon and like food dressing from the food table. <laughs> onto each other and then it soon changed into a food fight and they actually got kicked out of their own album release party oh that's classic rock band shit right there (laughs) oh man i love that uh was that like the the record label or something i don't have a location i'm just imagining them at geffen records dave geffen's like this big fucking multi multi millionaire he's got this big old like recording studio they set aside a whole like big ass room and Kurt and, and fucking Dave Grohl or whatever are just fucking throwing sandwiches at each other. <laughs> drunk, drunk, drunk as a skunk. <laughs> That's so fucking awesome, man. No, I don't. It probably wasn't Dave. It was probably uh, Novoselic. But anyways. Well, so uh, as another quick aside, I read Dave Grohl's uh, memoir or autobiography, whatever. Oh, a damn. S- storyteller. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he would talk about like when they first started off, like as Nirvana mm-hmm. and uh, Cobain. At or like at the end of his shows, he would go like ape shit and just start smashing the guitar, and like he would piss a lot of people off because he would, like he would just go like oh like his like crowd? inner rage would come out, and he he would just start smashing like the guitar on stage and throwing things and like just going ape shit. That almost sounds like a bit he was doing. Like it doesn't sound like he was doing that genuinely. It sounds like he was doing that because he wanted to put on the persona of Nirvana, you know? Oh, I mean, it could be. Maybe, maybe not. But like, I mean, I think Dave Grohl was saying it was. It was just part of his personality where it's like you can't tame him. Oh, absolutely. Like anything you want him to do, he's going to do the opposite. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely probably part of it. But like you're saying like guy, people in the crowd were getting pissed at him because he was fucking around? No, no. Like the like oh, whatever the, like yeah, the, the, the venue. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. If you're destroying stages and shit, I, <laughs> I would imagine even if it's Nirvana, it's like, okay, guys. Uh, well, and this was Nirvana before it was Nirvana. Oh, well, okay, yeah. The bleach. Like, this was, like, before, like, Nevermind. Yeah, Bleach Nirvana doesn't get the same leverage that fucking Nevermind Nervana does. True. Nevermind Nirvana could kill people on stage and nobody, <laughs> w- nobody would blink an eye. Uh, can you play Smells Like Teen Spirit again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Oh, man. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. But I don't think that's, like, too unnatural either. Like, rock bands are notorious for, like, breaking the shit out of things, you know? Like, Yeah. So, <laughs> But that's kind of a cool little note. All right. Uh, before we get into In Utero, do we want to do a little personal aside here? Sure. Okay. So, in 1992, after um, exploring the dating scene for a while, Kurt Cobain marries a woman named Courtney Love. She's the lead singer of a grunge band called Hole. Um have you ever heard, heard any whole songs? I have not. Um, you might know one. Doja Cat actually just did a, a cover of a whole song, huh. uh, which, again, leads me back to the, the, the trendy girlies who, like, dude, I was having a conversation with a friend from college, and she's like, oh, my God, Doja Cat just released this new song. And I listened to it, and I was like, honey, that's a whole song. She's like, well, no, it's not. Oh, dude. Dude, one of my favorite tweets of all time, it's like a, a collage of, like, four different images or whatever. 
And it was when Post Malone released that song with Ozzy Osbourne and Travis Scott. Oh, yeah, Scott. that was cool. And uh, it was like someone tweeted something about it, and then there was all these replies being like, oh, Post Post always putting on these new artists. Like, <laughs> po- Post Post Malone, you know, always always showing out, bringing, bringing up new people. <laughs> and the quote tweet of all those replies was, Ozzy Osbourne didn't do acid twice a day for three months for this kind of slander. <laughs> It's fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, that that's crazy when Ozzy Osbourne's the odd man out with fucking two other like big artists, but it's still fucking Ozzy Osbourne, bro. Uh, like he's not like Ozzy Osbourne's not some descript white uh, like nondescript white guy either, man. Like you see Ozzy and you know it's Ozzy for the most part. Not to mention he did reality TV for. A- oh my god, the, the the Osbournes were on reality TV from like the middle mid two thousands up until recently. Right. Holy shit. That's awesome, dude. I fucking love that. All-time tweet. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 no. Yeah, so so he marries Courtney Love in 1992. Um, and then about a year later, um, him and Courtney have a child, Francis Bean uh, Cobain. Um, and that kind of gets us up to the point we're at In Utero. In Utero is the third um, album by Nirvana. Uh, comes out in the middle of 1993. After the wild success of Nevermind, and I don't think this album got the same kind of well. It was obviously a big album, but it wasn't. It wasn't Nevermind, um, and it sounds wildly different. Yeah, still a really good album though. Yeah, um, I don't really have a whole lot of background on this album. Uh, if you got anything, shoot now. Uh, for the album as a whole, no, I've got some some bits for different songs all right so we'll just get into it then yeah um serve the servants not my favorite song i don't like the song as an opener i just kind of give or take it as a nirvana song oh i i like the guitar on this uh yeah i mean i'm, I'm always gonna like the instruments dude they, they do a fantastic job the whole way through but uh i don't know the chorus is just kind of like, like it's just i don't know yeah that's uh, I, I, that's fair pushback um, uh i don't know if it was it's either this song or Scentless Apprentice, but there's um a book that Kurt Cobain, uh, this was like one of the, I think the last interview, one of the last interviews he did before he uh, ended up committing suicide. Or not. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, or not. Uh, but there's this book that he read like, I don't know, 10 different, uh, like he's just always reading this one book and that's what he used for inspiration for uh, one of the two songs. I don't remember which one. Oh, okay. That's cool. They both start with us, so. <laughs> hard, hard cutting, to cutting myself a little slack here. <laughs> yeah, Scentless Apprentice is a little bit better, but this is more like the heavy, grungy shit. I, yeah, it's a bit heavier than what I like. Yeah, this is, I think uh, you and I are just flip-flopped here. I like Scentless Apprentice a little bit more. It's well, not one of my favorites, but decent enough uh, deep cut. Yeah, and I like Serve the Servants a little bit more. Then we get into like a, I would say a four song run here where all these songs are pretty sick. Oh yeah, um, heart shaped box is a cl- is a classic. That's the hit off this album, maybe, probably. Yeah, th- I mean this one had the most streams by far, uh, and this one was inspired by a heart shaped box that Courtney Love gave to Kurt Cobain as a present. Uh, Kurt said he liked the idea of having a, a box full of human organs. Yeah, and this song is really weird. He talks about eating uh, a person's like. This song's about like loving somebody so much that you would kind of just do anything for them. Yeah. Uh, he talks about eating your cancer when it turns black, which is a fucking vile like vision. Um, but 
really elicits that kind of like, oh, you would really do anything. Yeah, he's got a couple lyrics like that throughout Nirvana's discography. Oh, 100%. Where he's, not, he's not at all afraid of getting into like the vile, gory shit. Yeah, exactly. That's one of them. And the next song is the same thing, but if you got anything left on that. No, this, this is one of my favorite ones. Yeah, this is... Uh, everything I'm about to say after this feels weird, given the title of the song is Rape Me. Um, it So, Kurt... Again, he grew up in a small town, Aberdeen, Washington, not a very uh, rich area at all. Um, and so a lot of the stores were just, you know, big box stores and little, uh, you know, country stores, shit like that. And uh, so one of the stores kind of near his place um, that he spent a lot of time like shopping at was Kmart. And so when this album was uh, going to production, um, Kmart saw the cover of this album with all the names of the songs and said, hey, listen. We really want to have this album in our stores, but we're not going to publish anything that says Rape Me on the song title. Only in Kmart and Walmart was the name of this song changed to Waif Me. What? Waif? Waif. What does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything. He wanted to change the song, the name of the song on those uh, productions to uh, Sexually Assault Me, but that was... Maybe not as catchy as Rape Me, which, again, sounds horrible. Um, but he decided that in, in in the vein of trying to, like, have a little, like, catchy name, he went with Waif Me, which he knew meant nothing. Waif Me, is it's nonsense. Um, but he just wanted to kind of, like, rhyme it with, with nonsense just so he could get around Kmart bitching at him about it. And so that's what the album published in Kmart and Walmart. Oh, I didn't know that. Imagine, like, I would love to have one of those records. Like, having the vinyl with Waif Me on it, is pro- they're probably expensive as fuck, dude. True. Um, but yeah, this song isn't really about, like, like the actual definition of, like, rape. It's more about, like, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say society, but people uh, around famous people using them to their advantage at every turn. Yeah, so I found two different meanings for it. Um, one that it actually was a protest against rape and Cobain was like Nirvana put on a bunch of benefits for like, yeah. Uh, like s- he was a big feminist and he was yeah, a big was, supporter of I was LG- gonna say, LGBTQ plus rights. Yeah. So he did, they did benefits for both of those groups. And uh, this song was, you know, written as a protest against rape, but then there's also the other meaning of it, like the media, like invading, exploiting fame. Yes. And invading Cobain's like privacy. Right. Right. Which surely he had none of by this time. <laughs> yeah and he said with this song he wanted to make people feel uncomfortable and confront the issue of rape and that's why he named it rape me and again it's uncomfortable that the song is so like sing-songy almost yeah um yeah weird like it, again it feels really weird to say this but this is one of their best one of their better songs on this album yeah yeah no doubt um the next song francis farmer will have her revenge on seattle Again, this is this this is a deep cut. Uh, so Frances Farmer is this like actress uh, in the '40s and '50s and '60s um, from Seattle, and she she has some mild fame success in acting, and then goes through uh, bits of alcoholism and drug abuse, and for the latter half of her life was was institutionalized a lot um, in like mental institutions. Um, Allegedly against her will sometimes. Oh, wow. Um, and 
so that was by her by her family um, and by uh, medical professionals that just deemed it necessary, right? Hmm. Um, and so I, I don't know how much the song like really dives into that, but the title absolutely like strikes right at that, where she will have her, her revenge on these. Where Kurt obviously thought that she was being taken advantage of for her, again for her fame, um, and in- institutionalized against her will. Really good song though. Yeah, and the line that sticks out from this one is, "I miss the comfort in being sad." That's strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, I had one other. This is not a fun fact, but from the documentary, they talked about Cobain losing his virginity. <laughs> okay no you, i don't know so he used to hang out with these guys that he didn't really like them but he that's where he got like his pot from or whatever okay and they would steal booze from this it was like the special ed girl like her parents okay and uh eventually they that got figured out or whatever, so they couldn't do it but uh eventually he went over there by himself one day and he's like like oh like we will you have sex like yeah we have sex and yeah, yeah uh he tried having sex with her and he said that he didn't even know like how sex worked at that point. So I don't know if he actually lost his virginity to her or not, but the way they were telling the story made it seem like he did. Okay. And uh, she had special needs or whatever. And then the dad came to school like, Oh, he found out. Yeah. So the dad came to school after and was like, who the, f- you know, yeah. who do you think you took are? advantage of my daughter or whatever. And then it got out that it was him. And then he was like an outcast at school because of that. Jesus. So man. I don't, I didn't really want to talk about that, but I saw it in the documentary and I was like, well, if this fact has to live in my head, <laughs> now it does in yours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a fucking wild story. Um, anyways, uh, you got anything else on Francis Farmer? No, let's move on to to dumb, dumb, uh, classic song here. Um, yep. It, it sounds weird. He goes, "I think I'm happy. I think I'm dumb." Um, I think this is kind of a play on the whole ignorance is bliss bit, um, especially considering that. Um, at this point in their careers, these guys are big, famous rock stars and no longer can be ignorant, but maybe were happier once upon a time they weren't. Yeah, and just him thinking like he that he might actually be happy, but knowing that he's got these demons deep down, where it's like it's not. He knows it's it's superficial. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. But this is also on the the MTV Unplugged and really good version there too. Um, then the next couple songs are deep cuts, very ape and milk it. Good enough stuff here. Nothing crazy. Yeah, there. These ones were like the weaker ones for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of either of these songs, but um, he follows that up with Penny Royalty, which is a, a classic. Um, yeah. It sounds even better on the acoustic, which I guess we'll, I gotta stop saying this because we're gonna talk about the fucking acoustic. But yeah, we'll do after this album. We'll do MTV. Yeah. So Penny Royalty. Um, it starts off with a pretty slow, like, uh, I keep saying picky, but that's, like, just the best word for it. Uh, slow, picky intro. Um, and then the, the electric guitar kicks in on the chorus and picks it up and then goes back to the acoustic. It, it's just a cool. One thing I was thinking about, too, is, like, you don't hear a lot of songs. Usually, Cobain stays in one of three lanes. Really low, middle, just good, hard rock grunge or, like, like full-out screaming grunge. This is one of the few songs where he mixes between one of those three levels. Um, he goes back and forth between this like slow acoustic and kind of middle of the pack hard rock, which is kind of fucking cool. I like, uh, I just like the progression of this song. Um, it's simple and it sounds way better stripped down. Yeah, it's a cool song. Um, this is 
we talked about it earlier with his his stomach problems he had. Yes, this is the this is the song I was thinking of when we mentioned that earlier. Yeah, yeah. So this this song is really just kind of about his almost it it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's just more about his day to day dealing with his stomach issues. Uh, he talks about drinking tea, eating laxatives, uh, and acids, things like that. Um, not a whole lot meaning, just a story. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, anything else on that? No, and uh, I don't really like the next song that much either. I don't like the next two songs. Or sorry, I do like I like Penny Royalty. I don't really like Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the next two songs. Or or Tourette's for that matter. Yeah, I don't. We can gloss over those unless you have something. No, nope, they're just really these is back to like the grungy, heavy shit. Uh, not shit, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, not for me. That's so all. The album closes with all apologies. Which is a classic again. Yeah. That's, this is where I was debating whether this is the hit off this album or not. Because um, I feel like all apologies gets a lot, a lot, a lot of play. But regardless of whether it's the hit or one of two, it's an awesome song. Yeah. And again, it's about him, you know, wanting to be a better father, better husband. And uh, yeah. Now, uh, again, back to the point about uh, pacing through this album. I don't like the opener and I don't love this as a closer. Oh, I like I like this one as a, as a closer because it is it's like one of the more like heartfelt. Yeah, that's a good point. I like, there I do like an emotional ending. Yeah, I get yeah. That. Um, like it would feel weird if <laughs> if this was like one of like the first, like the first song or two. I think I would almost rather have Dom as the closer. Yeah, I I mean that could be a good one too. Um, I mean both songs kind of just trail off like softly and let it go, but I don't know. This song's maybe is a little too like poppy. To be my closer, but anyhow, fair enough. Good song. Uh, do you want to do actually before we do the MTV? Did you want to? There were three new songs on Incesticide. I don't know if you wanted to. Yeah, I listened they, to Incesticide. They weren't. I didn't like it. I, I I was gonna say it wasn't really for my favorite either. So we just. It's funny enough though. We talked about like how the the Gen X came up and we're like, oh, I heard. Never mind. Like these guys kick ass. Uh, my dad. I was smoking a cigar with him a couple of weeks ago, and he turned on some songs from Incesticide, and I was like, what the hell? Where did this come from? He was like, yeah, man, Nirvana's sick. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I knew he was a fan of Nirvana, but I didn't know he was a fan of all of Nirvana. That's funny. I know my dad had uh, Nevermind Never in, in Utero. Like, he had both those albums, but not Bleach. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah. All right, um, and so then that ends their official three album set list with Incesticize, an EP with a lot of like live stuff and demos, um, and then they do a live album at MTV Unplugged in New York. Uh, we talked about this before, but MTV Unplugged is a series of live shows where they would get the big rock artists to come in to New York, do a, uh, an acoustic set, um, record it, put it on the vinyl, put it out on MTV as like a like a show. Um, and it was a way of like kind of promoting artists. Um, so MTV com- or Nirvana comes in late 1993, does I think it's November 1993, and records MTV Unplugged, um, and it's broadcast on MTV in December of 1993. This is maybe the most famous rock show in the history of rock music. Oh, really? I don't have any facts to back that up, but in terms of just like notoriety. Anybody who's a fan of Link or like a like a serious fan of Nirvana has has heard this at least heard this album before, um, and some of the items that were used in the show have sold for absurd amounts of money. 
listen to this. Uh, here, let me pull this up here. Where is it? No, it's not that one. It must be this one. Yeah, let me scroll down to the bottom because the big stuff's at the bottom. Um, so throughout the show, let me kind of set the stage. They're on this big, wide open, like, it's not like a, you don't have a concert. A concert venue is almost like a gym hall uh, sometimes where they just have a long, kind of narrow stage. Um, this stage is more like, it's more, I, I guess, like, imagine like a church almost. Um, like, they're sitting in the pulpit, but not like a church, more like a, maybe like a church setting. So they're sitting where the pulpit would be. And then the crowd just wraps around the whole room, basically. Um, they got Kurt and the band out there doing their thing. Throughout the show, they bring in a, a few different artists to kind of play a few different songs and help out and da-da-da. Um, Kurt goes out there wearing a, like, it's just a, a nondescript T-shirt and, a like, a gray-green cardigan. Um, that cardigan in 2019... How much do you think that cardigan has recently sold for? Take a guess. I'm sure whatever I guess will be too low. Um, I don't know. A hundred grand? In nineteen or twenty nineteen, this cardigan sold at auction for three hundred thirty four thousand dollars. Wow. Three hundred thirty four thousand. Yeah. That's crazy. That's not the most expensive item that's sold from this show. The most expensive item that's sold for the show has sold multiple times, I believe. And it's the guitar uh, Kurt played on this album. Oh, that's gotta be worth if the cardigan's three hundred thirty-four thousand, the guitar has got to be at least. You'll be blown away. I'll say I'll say a cool million. In twenty twenty, this this acoustic guitar sold for six million dollars. Wow, fucking insane! I don't know, like I can't, I can't put that in comparison to any other artist because I'm just I'm not tracking artist auctions, but six million dollars for a guitar seems like a a ridiculous amount. And it's funny in conjunction because he makes a joke towards the end of the song. He's talking to the crowd. And he's about to play a song that was popularized by the Lead Bellies, uh, or Lead Belly. Um, and he makes a joke to the crowd where he says, "Oh yeah, Lead Belly's uh, estate wants to sell me or wants to sell me Lead Belly's guitar for five hundred thousand dollars." I even asked David Geffen personally, and he wouldn't write me the check. <laughs> and then this guitar sells for six million fucking dollars. Um, wow. Insane, dude. But it, I think it's sold a, a bunch of times, and every time it goes up a little bit, like few million dollars and then here we are um all time like cool fucking basement piece i don't even know where you put it it's got to go with like uh, you got to have a whole display yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to have like an altar for this fucking thing it's like dude. a museum it's a legendary a whole exhibit it's with... a legendary piece of rock like memorabilia yeah i'm almost shocked this isn't in like a museum somewhere like for the real? rock and roll hall of fame or something um, uh, that would be cool that'd be fucking sick i'm sure they have something from this show um but yeah let's get let's get into the album a little bit here unless you got anything else no 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 okay cool let me pull it up so my thing my biggest takeaway from this album is uh some of the covers are some of my favorite nirvana songs yeah so as we go through this i'll probably go one by one here um i'm not gonna say the same thing about every song again here so i'll probably pass over some songs um but i'll touch more on the covers here so the the show starts with About a Girl and Come As You Are. Uh, pretty good there. The next song is a cover called Jesus Don't Walk Don't Want Me for the Sunbeam. It's a cover by the um the Vaselines. And is correct me if I'm wrong, was it not a, a Christian rock? Yeah, yeah. He says yeah. he says they do it in the style of the Vaselines, which is another grunge band, and that grunge band the 
a lot of a lot of music actually a lot of rock music is just like adapted blues and like um old folk songs and i think that's the case here too Th- this is my favorite cover yeah this is pretty fucking cool uh kurt really lets his voice range here um and gets up and down with it i love i love the cover here for sure um there's another cover next have you heard the original version of the man who sold the world uh this by david bowie oh i'm sure my dad has it sounds wildly different than the nirvana cover yeah um like you almost wouldn't recognize that it was the same song if you listen to it um but i this i think this is my favorite cover on this album um yeah th- this is my second it's sure. super sing-songy uh uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot else to say. It's just such a fuck. They do such a great job covering some of these songs here, and this is elite work. Definitely. Um, Penny Royalty. I touched on it earlier, but I like this version better. I think you, when you strip it down to just so this song, for the first four songs, the whole band was kind of in on it, and then Penny Royalty. He says in between songs, he goes, "Should I play this by myself?" Yeah. And somebody in the back goes, "Yeah, yeah, play it by yourself." And so it's just him on guitar, um, on acoustic guitar playing this song, and this this stripped down version without the electric guitar through the ri- or through the chorus, um, really lets Kurt's voice and his kind of anguish about this song like stand out, and that's why I like it better than the original. It's funny I do recall like the interlude from track to track where he's like, "Yeah, should I play this one by myself?" Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part of what makes this album great is you hear those like little funny jabs and and jokes as they, they go through it. Yeah, and him t- he like tells Dave Grohl to shut up at one point. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, it, like jokingly. Maybe the the underrated thing about Kurt, but he is like kind of a smart ass. Like if you hear him in interviews and you hear him like in concerts, you listen to his live albums. He he does these little like shit stirs, um, and so that's cool here. Uh, the next couple songs, Dumb and Polly, good uh, good live performance here on a plane. Something in the way, pretty good as well, especially acoustic. Yeah. So then, um, song 10 is Plateau, and this is another cover. The next three songs are covers of a band called the Meat Puppets. And so then for these three songs, they bring the Meat Puppets on stage to help perform the songs. Um, I'm not sure the Meat Puppets had much more than middling success as a band. <laughs> but again, we kind of talked earlier about how Kurt, one of, like, one of the things he did really well was li- he, he, this, Kurt was the high tide that raised all ships. And the Meat Puppets got whatever fame they got because of this show. Um, that being said, I've never heard of the original version of any of these songs. Uh, maybe once, but it's been a long time. Uh, Plateau is pretty cool. Um, oh Me, again, is a good cover here. Lake of Fire is maybe my second favorite cover on this album. Yeah, this is my third. Um, he really, again, lets the voice go here, especially through the chorus. Um, gets a little loopy with it, but really just throws his voice around on this song um, sing song it's it's good shit here yeah um he the next two songs he does all apologies again that was off in utero yep and then another cover this is a vaseline cover again but this is another kind of like blues song that was adapted i saw earlier it, it has origins as far back as the 1870s of a blues song called in the pines oh that's cool um and so this song is Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Um, this song is absolutely chilling listening to this. And especially when you put it in conjunction with the fact that this was the last um, 
This is the last song that Nirvana produced before before Cobain died. Um, Wasn't there? There was one more that was released in two thousand two. Yeah, well yeah. after he died. Oh right, right, right. Um, gotcha. Where did you sleep last night? Is again just Kurt playing the guitar and singing, and it's pretty slow. There's really not even that much like guitar going on in the background, um, but super, super emotional. Um, in the beginning, he's just kind of like almost talking into the mic, no more than you or I. Um, it's got a weird little bit through the middle where he talks about a woman's husband with his head like lopped off, found in the seat of the car somewhere, and his body is like undiscoverable. Um, and then he just kind of repeats the same chorus over and over where, um, he's talking about a girl like sleeping in trees and like, why the fuck would she do that? Um, by the end of the song, he's crying into the mic basically, uh, with emotion. And then he just kind of outros with a, a little plucky guitar tune. and That's the end of the show. It's <laughs> again, this is such a fucking cool way to end an album and the show. Um, yeah also it's got to be one of the best live albums too yeah yeah this is one of my uh, this is yeah this is my favorite live album um but definitely one of the top five most famous live albums of all time that'd be a fun one we'd have to be doing this for some time before we yeah yeah that's debate a little live albums but yeah yeah we'd even have to go back into some some catalog at that point because oh for sure i certainly didn't listen to like all the live lincoln park stuff all the live shinedown stuff yep me neither you know, if we could do that as maybe like an aside episode where like we just go back and like yeah, when we, we'll, we'll when pick we, some live stuff and yeah, when we feel like doing something different. Yeah, absolutely. That that's actually kind of a fun idea. I like that. Hell yeah. Um, and so that's the end of MTV Unplugged and the end of Nirvana's catalog until 2002, like you mentioned. Um, before I get into the 2002 song really quick. Um, so in ninth, so this album came out, the MTV Unplugged came out in December of 20 or sorry, 20, 1993, uh, April 8th, 1994, Kurt Cobain is found dead in his, uh, Seattle home out just outside of Seattle. Um, I'll come back to that in a minute. In 2002, the estate of Kurt Cobain, which is, uh, partly run by Courtney Love and then also Nirvana and, um. I believe maybe they're a family lawyer, Rosemary something or other. Um, they put out a compilation album. It's basically a best hits album. Um, and they add one demo in at the top of the album called Do You Know You're Right, uh, which is a brand new song in 2002 from Nirvana. Uh, weird, but it's a really good fucking song. Um, it's a little bit more grungy, but like palatable. Not super like harsh, just heavy shit. Good stuff. Yeah, I was reading that Corny Love was saying that they have like um – a tape that had like over 200 what could be construed as like songs or or whatever like, oh yeah yeah just from all like his random recordings or whatever that uh i will probably just you know they'll never just get put out grave, yeah but that is it's cool to think that they're, they're out there somewhere yeah somebody has those somebody has listened to all of those aside oh, from dave sure. Grohl and nova selich somebody has listened to those probably courtney love maybe the lawyer maybe the family <laughs> that's probably about it yeah. That's pretty fucking cool, dude. Very cool. Um, Do you want to get back into the Yeah, the, yeah let, the me, death? let me sidetrack a little bit here. All right. So there, there's kind of mis- mystery about this. Um, and people have conspiracy. I don't even want to call them. People have conspired that or said that maybe Kurt Cobain's death wasn't a suicide. Um, for the record, officially, Kurt Cobain was found dead and it was declared a suicide in April of 1994. By the Seattle Police Department. 
Um, he was found in a room. Well, he was so he was found in a bedroom with a closet door open, kind of backed up against this closet door, uh, with a shotgun in his hands, pointed at his head, his head like half blown off. Um, there was a box with drug paraphernalia kind of neatly packaged on the side of him. His wallet was on the ground to the side of him. And then there was a shotgun shell also on the side of him from the shotgun. Um, so a few days before this happened, Kurt had, uh, Joey had mentioned Kurt had left rehab. Um, he was feeling better. He had seen his daughter. He was ready to go back to town. So he go he leaves rehab from LA and goes back to Seattle. Um, Courtney, at this time, is pretty worried about him because she thinks he needs to be in rehab. The reason he was in rehab is because he had just had a situation where he was in Rome, Italy, um, and he was he had a drug overdose there. Yeah, and that was a suicide attempt. They say it was a suicide attempt. Um, oh, sure. One thing about that, the doctor in Italy that took care of Kurt um, vehemently denies that it was a suicide attempt. I don't remember all the, the details about it, um, and... It's it's also interesting to note that he might have bias because you don't want to be the doctor that said Kurt Cobain tried to kill himself before he tries to kill himself. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, there there were people who say that that was a suicide attempt in March of point or 1993. Um, he overdosed on champagne or ohypnol, more or less. Which another aside, I didn't know people took roofies as like like a personal drug. I thought that was only used for like. Like bad things, man. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, but yeah, he had he had roofies in his system. Um, yeah, mixing champagne with roofies is fucking wild. Anyways, so fast forward again. Uh, I think it's like April first or maybe March thirty first of nineteen ninety four. Uh, Courtney Love hires a private investigator to see what's going on with Kurt. Uh, when Kurt left for or left from rehab, he then took a plane to Atlanta and back. Um, and it's not entirely known what he was doing in Atlanta, um, but Courtney saw the charges on the credit card um, and was losing her fucking mind about it. So she calls this guy, Tom Grant, a uh, private investigator, um, to kind of look into Kurt and check on him and make sure he's okay because she's worried he's going to kill himself. Um, the next few days, uh, Courtney's in pretty much constant conversation with this guy. Um, the times that he shows up to talk to her in person, she's like half drugged out already. Uh, her friends are in the room, like doing drugs alongside of her. Um, as conversations go on through the next few days, she's changing stories and kind of saying different shit and even like partly withholding information from this PI, uh, which is a little bit suspicious. Um, at Once Kurt came back from Atlanta and went back to Seattle, he was in a house, he was in this house with, Courtney Love's ex-boyfriend, his nickname is Callie. I don't remember his actual name. Um, so this guy was living in the same house that Kurt Cobain died in for a few days before his body was found. Um, during these few days, uh, the PI had kind of staked out a few different places. They were they, First, they were looking for him in hotels and motels. Um, they didn't really find him there. Eventually, they check out the property, and they find uh, they don't find anything the first couple times they search it. Um, there's some inaccuracies about what Courtney said about the house versus the reality of the house. Uh, she said she found a note where they would have looked, checked, never found a note. The, the suicide note? No, not the suicide oh. note. Another note. Um, and so Tom's like, what are you not telling us? Um, but it's Courtney Love. She's, she's notably, she's a notorious liar. She says at one point, 
that she was paying the news to to tell people that she was like on a, in a drug overdose just to get Kurt's attention. Um, that yeah, she was also noted drug addict. Yeah, noted. Yeah, exactly. Notorious drug addict, Courtney Love. Um. Anyways, so a couple days before Kurt's body's found, um, it, it's not entirely sure when he killed himself, but a couple days before Kurt's body was found, uh, this Cali guy leaves the house, goes and does whatever. Um, so this maybe was April 5th or something. Um, and then April 7th, Tom Grant and the other guy go to the house to investigate the house, and they're in the house, and that's when they... The, that was the night that they didn't find the note that Courtney said the note was on the bed. Uh, the bed was perfectly made, and there was no note on the bed. And Courtney claims that the note was on the bed, um, which is probably just a lie. Um, interestingly enough, there was kind of a side room in the back of the house that they called the greenhouse uh, because it was, like, window-laden. Um, and they didn't check this this greenhouse. Um it, it sounds like on first look at the house, if you didn't know anything about the house, you might not even realize it. Um, and there's outside entrances to this room. Uh, it's kind of on like on the side back of the house. Um, but for whatever reason, the PI didn't check the house. The PI was also being like like tour guided by one of Courtney's like close friends, Dylan something or other. Um, and he didn't think to me- he didn't think to mention anything about the court the the greenhouse. All this time. Uh, the three or four days that the PI spends in Seattle looking around the house, this Dylan guy is showing him around. And when Tom tries to get in contact with Courtney, Courtney will only talk to Dylan. She won't talk to the PI that she hired to find her husband. She'll only talk to Dylan, and then D- Dylan relays the messages. Little suspicious. Then April 8th, um, an electrician shows up at the house to... Um, install or work on some security lighting it sounds like they had had a, 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 like a robbery or something uh, a little while before so they were installing some security lights um this guy kind of walks up onto the porch uh, that wraps around the house walks towards this greenhouse uh sees cobain like laying in the room doesn't think a whole lot of it for a second looks a little closer and sees everything is like holy fucking shit um obviously <laughs> Here, here's a crazy thing. It, as much as we talked earlier about Cobain uh, kind of moaning about how much the fame and uh, notoriety of being Nirvana was a pain in the ass, this motherfucker calls a radio station in Seattle, a rock radio station, and says, hey, I think I found the body of Kurt Cobain laying dead in his house. Instead of calling the cops? Well, I think he called the cops too, but then shortly thereafter called the radio station. That's weird. This place was the fucking zoo, dude. Yeah. So many people showed up. Cops everywhere. Um, so this, this private investor investigator shows up at the house and he's like, Hey, listen, I've been looking into this for the last few days. I might have some information that'll help you like figure out what happened here. The, the chief of police who had showed up and was standing outside request or denied his request to speak with him and said, call back later and I'll, I'll talk to you then. Uh, like I said, the crime scene found Kurt with, uh, a, a couple odd things. So, um, the shotgun, a shotgun, um, on one side of a shotgun, any shotgun really, uh, that has a like a disposal chamber for the cartridge of the, the bullet to dislodge, uh, the bullet either dislodges left or right depending on the shotgun, um, but it can't go both ways. It'll either go one way or the other. The shotgun shell was found on the left side of Kurt, and the dislodge chamber was oriented to the right of Kurt. Um, 
Some people might argue that the gun flipped in his hands when he pulled the trigger, uh, but the gun was found in in rigor mortis. Basically, the way he was holding it, he he had like a death grip on the on the gun. It's highly unlikely that the gun had flipped in his hands after he shot himself. Um, he also again the drug paraphernalia was was neatly wrapped up in a box next to him. Toxicology reports found that he had three time, more than three times the amount of heroin that it would take to kill even the most severe heroin user. Um, so the idea that being being that intoxicated on heroin um, and still having the mindset to neatly wrap up your heroin kit is questionable. Um, also, it, it seems like it would be difficult with that much heroin in your system to pull the trigger of a shotgun. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, there's disputes about the toxicology reports. Um, some people say that um, this would have been a dosage that people, uh, severe heroin users, could have took. Um, the The report I've seen on that is basically that if you took ingestible heroin, like pills, that that would delay the, the effects of the the dosage, and a severe heroin user might have been able to uh, survive it that way. But with intravenous uh, injection, there was basically no way he was getting out of that. Um, the so the the PI and the sales chief of police are in conversations, and the P, the chief of police declared it a suicide pretty quickly. And the PI is like, "I'm not sure this is a suicide." He basically shoots this guy down for the next three weeks, doesn't give him the time of day really, and then is promptly fired for um, for uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, what the PI or the chief? Of no, police? the chief of police is fired for like corruption. Thank you. Ah. Uh, he's fired for corruption, uh, not related to the Kurt Cobain death, but he's fired for corruption like three weeks later. Um, at this point, though, it's still the case was closed. It was rules of suicide. Uh, no matter how much people believed otherwise and petitioned for the case to be opened. In 2014, the case was reopened uh, by another chief of police who investigated it quickly determined it to be a suicide, said something along the lines of, there's nothing here that leads me to believe this wouldn't be a suicide, Mm -hmm. and then was also shortly thereafter released for corruption. And the case was closed. And it hasn't been reopened since. Um, This is the the story of this documentary I watched, Soaked in Bleach, um, in the words of Tom Grant, the PI. Um, he He opens the documentary with a note that says, um, all of the allegations in this documentary are just that, allegations. Um, and Courtney Love most certainly would not approve of any of the things that will be said in this documentary. Um, which Courtney basically turned on him once he started to kind of show his cards a little bit that he might be investigating her or her friends for the murder um, and fired him, cut off all communications, and motherfucked him left and right in the, in the news. Um, so to this day, it's still unknown. It's, it's officially a suicide, but there are plenty of people who believe that Courtney might've had a hand in or personally killed Kurt. Um, which is uh, with a guy with that much notoriety, you would think there would be somebody who would have this fucking story that would like come forward and be like, yeah, or like Callie, right? Like the guy who's living in the house. Um, that would come forward and say fucking something like, yeah, I, I saw Kurt, da-da-da. But 
to this day, it's kind of just a mystery. Nobody really knows. And if she did it, she fucking got away with it. Yeah, there. I was reading. Well, I'll get my thoughts. But before I get my thoughts, I was reading too. Uh, like, there was a man that fit Kurt's description going into the store where he purchased the shotgun shells. So there's one quick thing against that. Oh, you got a if you got a rebuttal, go for it. It's not so much a rebuttal as it is also this Dylan guy I was talking about, Courtney's friend that was working with the PI. He put the shot. They, the the police had had recently taken away all of his guns because they were worried he was suicidal, and this motherfucker bought the shotgun that they found him with in his hands in his name and gave it to Kurt as like a security measure. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Well, okay, so I'm not gonna. I won't add any other context because I didn't read into this like you. I didn't see that documentary, but. My general thoughts are, I don't. I think that it was a suicide for a couple different reasons. One, uh, he did try and kill himself when he was younger. He actually laid down on train tracks and oh, Jesus. Yeah, so he was laying down on train tracks and waited for the train to come at like 11 p.m. or whatever, and it went on the track next to him. But like he was trying to kill himself, and then after that, he's like, "All right, I'm you know, yeah, I'm gonna try and shape things up or whatever." Right, right. So there's that, and then there's a thing in Rome, which you know whether. That's maybe just, maybe it's not. just another instance, yeah. right? But then couple that with everything in uh, his lyrics, his life. This dude's battling demons his whole life. He's battling demons. He's battling drug addiction. He's always saw himself as an outcast. Like, uh, always talked about you know suicide, and it's just all that in the history of it. It's like yeah, he he probably killed himself, and I think it's one of those things where. Sometimes people don't want to see it that way because it's like, yeah, you don't want to see your idols fall like that. Exactly. It's your idol. You think, man, what if, what if, uh, you know, he was still alive. He'd be making more music. I, you know, I love what he did for me and, and just his music or whatever. So I think there, that goes into it too. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I don't know. I mean, there's some interesting things in there, but I, I think it just because of who Kurt was and that he tried killing himself before and just battling demons his whole life. I, I think he probably did it. I I think Courtney organized it, and I think Kelly was involved. Now, all of this is alleged, um, but it just seems a little too convenient that somebody was able to get that fucking high and then still, like, organize themselves that way. Yeah, but he was, he's, he'd been using heroin for years off and on. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's maybe possible. Um, like, so for context, after Nevermind came out, Instead of going on an immediate like world tour and making millions of dollars, he took six months off and he just hung out with Courtney Love, watched TV, did heroin every day, and played guitar. Yeah, yeah. that's I mean that's the kind of guy he was. Like he just did whatever he wanted to do and and you know he's often on drug addict. There's also discrepancies about the suicide note, like the yeah I I read into that yeah. about how it gets you know frantic at the end and the end it looks like completely different handwriting. It doesn't even look like, like well, right. But if if the dose was kicking in, I mean, of course you're. Yeah, can. yeah, that's entirely possible too. But the first, like, it, it's it's too like black and white. Like you don't see it like a, a gradual progression. You see a sharp like decent, 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 and then like off the fucking rails at the end. The last three or four sentences. Yeah. But you know, just some just context for the matter. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely interesting. There are plenty of people who are still calling for this uh, investigation to be reopened. I'm not sure it ever will at this point whether regardless of the fact of whether or not it's still open uh it, it should be noted that the seattle police department's involvement in the investigation is should be uh, stripped whether if they ever decide to open this investigation again after two police chiefs were fired shortly after investigating the situation for corruption 
it, sh- it it seems pretty obvious that maybe they're not capable of handling the situation. I won't argue against that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's all I got on that, man. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, interesting aside, but you want to wrap up with uh, top songs, album rankings, and concert set lists? Yeah, we can do. Uh, yeah, we can do all that. Yep, let's Sweet. get into it. So, I'll give my uh, top ten songs here. Actually, eleven. I gave a bonus one. So I've got eleven in bloom. 10, About a Girl, the only song I took off of Bleach. Uh, 9, the cover, Jesus Doesn't Want Me for for a Sunbeam. 8, the other cover, The Man Who Sold the World. 7, Something in the Way. 6, All Apologies. 5, Dumb. 4, Come As You Are. 3, Lithium. 2, Heart Shaped Box. And 1, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, I like it. It's good stuff. Um, 10 to 1 here. I'll start with On a Plane at 10. I'll go Lake of Fire 9. Rape you eight. Uh, rape me. Rape me, whatever. Um, seven will go to Man Who Sold the World. Uh, six. Hmm, six is a tough one. We will do Heart Shaped Box. Yeah. Uh, five, All Apologies. Four. Um, do Lithium at four. Uh, we will do... Penny Royalty at three, then In Bloom at two, and Smells Like Teen Spirit at one. I like it. All right. So album rankings, I mean, there's not really much yeah, discussion Yeah, there's here. three albums, and I don't think it's super uh, debatable. Yeah. We'll go Bleach, uh, In Utero, and then Nevermind. Yep. So for these album rankings, I did come up with a little analogy here, something to oh. add a little spice. Here we go. So I did movies. So Okay. Nevermind is like the Godfather. It's a classic. It's a masterpiece. It stands the test of time. Makes sense. It's at the top of the genre, and it has a lasting impact on the culture. Okay. In utero, it's like Joker 2019, Joaquin Phoenix. It's good. Both the album and the movie reflect anger and alienation in society. Okay. Yeah, okay. I was, I was wondering where you're going with that. I like that. Thanks. And then I have Bleach. Oh, boy. Here we go. Sharknado. (laughs) Sharknado 2. Scattered, loud, violent. But there's not a lot of deeper meaning in it. It's more surface level. Yeah, and some people will still find it fun. (laughs) So, yeah, that was my uh, analogy there. Do you know there's like seven Sharknados, and they make like a dick ton of money off of that? Yeah, Dude, it's ridiculous how much money they made off such a poor production. (laughs) There's nothing better than flipping on a sci-fi channel, a classic original horror movie on like a just a Thursday night or something. Oh, those are the best. (laughs) $300,000 budget. Yeah, exactly. It'll be like uh, like the priest spider or something. Like the (laughs) spiders like running the Catholic Church. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh yeah, so you want to do concert? Yeah, opener, yeah, yeah, you go encore. ahead. Yep. Okay, so for my opener, I had Lounge Act because it's got a, mm. a nice intro and then the guitar kicks in and it's got a catchy riff and it's a fast-paced song. Yeah. So it's one of those ones where it's a good song. It's not one of your most like well-known ones. Yeah, yeah. So you come out, you rip on the guitar People are, are, you know, just jamming to the music. Yeah, I got you. And, uh, yeah, it's just a nice, fast-paced song. And then for my encore, I had Territorial Pissings as the opening. Okay. Because you come back out. Yeah. And you're just, it's just loud and in your face. Yep, gets you back in it. Then you go to The Man Who Sold the World cover, 
Yeah. It's a little bit I lighter. It. It's, I love it. It's good. And then you close with In Bloom. Yeah. I'm going a similar direction here. I do like that, though. Having okay. Lake, okay. Lake of Fire in the middle there. I'm actually going to do the same thing. Uh, my opener, though, is going to be Breed. It's the same kind of thing. It's got a hard and heavy like intro. It gets you right into it. Um, and then for the for the jeez, um, my brain encore today. The encore. Um, we're gonna come back for the encore with. Let's see here. Um, lithium to start. Lake of Fire in the middle, and then something in the way to close. I like I like that with something in the way. Yeah, I don't know. I think I bitched about this last week with like a slow closer where we we're talking about forty five, but that just feels like one where it more fits the artist. I don't know. Yeah, I don't hate that. I when I was doing this, I so badly wanted to throw in like smells like Teen Spirit, but I'm like, no, they they, they that's there's no way they leave that for the end. That'll close the the opening set probably. Sure, something like that. But they, not the encore. Not the encore. No, you know, you got to give the people what they want, man. You yeah. almost have to play that song like second. Twice. <laughs> I mean, you could do that too. <laughs> All right, guys, we're just going to play uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit 13 times in a row now. Bro, if they played it, there's a, a certain, if, if for certain songs, you could certainly play it two or three times and nobody would complain. <laughs> <laughs> just bring it back for the encore too. Now, if you play, you know, four or five times, all right, yeah, then people are going to bitch. But Oh, I mean, more than two, I would bitch. Yeah. Dude, you know what I, I – this has nothing to do with this, but this is something that just came into my brain. I hate when artists, um, they'll have a concert, and they have, like, a, a little bit – a little part of the set in the middle that, like, completely kills the vibe. Oh, you mean when they do, like – they'll do, like, three slow songs back-to-back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the, the example that's coming to mind, I saw Smashing Pumpkins a couple of years ago. Nice. And it was, like, a two-and-a-half-hour set list, so obviously you got to fill that time with something. Um which is, like, cool. Like, if you're a Smashing Pumpkins fan, you want them to, like, kill time. Like, get your money's worth. There was, like, a 45-minute, like, like ballet music section through the middle of the set list. And I, I just sat down for, like, almost an hour. And my dad was like, oh, you don't like this? I'm like, no, Dad, I don't fucking like this. This is not what I came to see Smashing Pumpkins for. What the fuck? And then yeah. they came back after that and did, like, a 15-minute cover of um, Stairway to Heaven, which was cool. But, like, oh, yeah. I, I, I want to do Smashing Pumpkins at some point. They're another one where I know like the hits, but I'm sure I'd like the rest. Yeah, they're they got they're kind also of, been around for a million years. They're kind of in the same vein of like bands that came after Nirvana that were able to do what they did because of Nirvana. Um, a lot of a lot of the same like grungy sounds that um, is maybe not so polished, but a lot of good shit too. Yeah. So uh, wrapping up here because we are. We gotta be at like an hour and a half or something. Hour forty five. Yeah, there we go. So I guess uh let's just wrap with the next couple weeks here. We're gonna do John Mayer. John Mayer. And then Dreamers, Dreamers yeah. and then Foo Fighters. And then Foo Fighters. Yeah, I'm excited to get back to Foo Fighters, especially just because of the tie in with this band and everything. Um again, I think you said it maybe last week that they're a little overrated. I totally agree. Um, but I am I'm excited to get into that. Hell yeah. All right, cool. cool. That wraps it up for today. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Um, hey, also too, everybody check out the socials. We're getting the socials going up now. Um, that's YouTube, Twitter, uh, Instagram, fate or not Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. TikTok. Uh, it's all at flip the record. Um, just look up flip the record on any of those sites and get some of our content.
Uh, thanks again for listening, guys. Appreciate it. Hell yeah. Thank <laughs> you.